as Matt mentioned, we are in week five of a six-week series that we're doing in Romans. And as you all know, there's 16 chapters in Romans. And doing 16 chapters in six weeks is near impossible unless you do what we're doing, which is not to look chapter by chapter, but to look at the big picture of what Romans is talking about. And so does anybody know what the first bit we talked about was? Matt talked about it. It's a bit depressing. Sin, fantastic, Heidi. The fact that we have all sinned. Paul makes it really, really clear that there is no one who is righteous. That even if you think you're righteous, just the fact that you've thought you're righteous means that you've sinned because you're not. Does anybody know what we talked about next? I did the next one and we talked about something to do with Jesus. Yeah. The fact that Jesus actually did it all. That because of Jesus' death and resurrection, his blood actually covers us. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see us as people who have sinned. He actually sees us as righteous. And we talked about what righteous means, and I'm not going to go over it again. Any of this is new to you, they're all on the website. So if it's new because you weren't here, or new because you forgot it, or you can just listen to it again. But the fact that we are seen as righteous, that we are declared as justified, that is the reason why we can actually talk to God and know God. Because of everything that Jesus has done, nothing that we have done. And all because of this thing called faith and not because of this thing called works. And then Peter did a great message last week. If you haven't heard it again, on, I listened to it this week. Does anybody remember what Peter was talking about last week? Just thought I'd put it up there so someone could, like, cheat. The fact that we actually have to die to live. We have to actually sacrifice ourselves to actually know God. But the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one that actually gives us the life that God wants us to have. Um, And so that comes to the next part. And again and again and again, all throughout the book of Romans, Paul is making another big point. And that big point is that this is for everyone. That no, not one of us can say, oh, sorry, this isn't for you. Jesus didn't die for you. You're too bad. What you've done, you've gone too far. You've sinned too much. Doesn't work for you. Because this is for everybody. Now, if you remember, Paul is writing to Gentiles as well as to Jews. And that's really important to remember because within all of this, there's a question that gets raised. And I'm sure you've all been thinking it. What about God's chosen people, the Jews? I'm sure that's been on your mind. I don't think it's been on your mind at all. Because as far as I know, is there anybody in this room that's actually Jewish? No, I didn't think so. But it does raise a really good question. If this is for everybody, if Jesus has died and because of Jesus, we all can have a relationship with God, what was the whole point about God's chosen people, the Jews? And has God actually forgotten the promises he made when he said, I will set you apart. You will be my people. You will be my special ones. Like how did that all fit together? Now, the thing that Paul does again and again in the book of Romans is he'll make a point and then he will allude to something and move on and then he'll come back to the thing that he mentioned before. Does that make sense? And he does it again and again. He'll talk about It's like me. As if, like, I sometimes will talk about something, it'll remind me of something, and I'll mention that something, 
and then go back to what I was talking about. But sometime in the future, I'll get back to what that point was that I was making in the first place. And that's what Paul does. And so in Romans 3, Paul actually answers this question. He says, then what advantage has the Jews? Or what is the value of circumcision? So this very question is, what is the whole point of the Jewish nation? And he answers, it much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the very oracles of God. They were given the very word of God. And that in itself is an amazing special thing. But these days, a lot of people, when they think about the Jewish nation and how the Jewish nation and Jewish people connect to Jesus, this is what they actually think. The Jews killed Jesus and they should all go to hell. And there are people who actually think that Jesus died for everybody else but the Jewish nation, which is completely and utterly rubbish. But there are people who go, oh, it was the Jews that killed Jesus and could they kill Jesus? They're stuffed. But Paul makes it really, really clear that that is actually not the case. And when we get to Romans chapter 8, and what we're going to look at today is chapter 8, chapter 9, thank you, chapter 9 to 11, this is what the beginning of chapter 9 tells us. I'm speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accused and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, the Jewish people. When we jump to chapter 10, it tells us this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, being the Jewish people, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Beginning of chapter 11 tells us, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people who he foreknew. Now, if you look at these chapters, chapter 9, 10, and 11, a number of people have a different view as to what you should do about them. Some people say, if you're reading the book of Romans, read chapter 1 to chapter 8, then go on to chapter 12. Because if we're not Jewish, should we even pay attention to these chapters? Because all of them are talking about the Jewish people. Other people think, oh, you know what? Paul wrote this, chapter 9 to chapter 11, this sermon, a long, long time before he wrote Romans. He hadn't put it in any of his other's books. He was just looking for a place to put it, so he just dumped it in the middle of Romans and just to have it somewhere written. But it really doesn't make much sense and it's really no point. And if you're not Jewish, there's even no point at, at all to actually paying attention to it. But I would like to say that that actually is not the case. That Romans 9 and 11 is not just an accident that Paul made. It actually is part of the overall point that Paul is trying to make in the book of Romans. And to neglect 9 to 11, we actually miss a really important point 
that Paul is trying to tell not only the Jewish people, but us as well. And also, if you do think that you can cut out 9 to 11, what else do you cut out from the Bible? Like, it's just a ridiculous thing to cut out anything. But the question really is, how do we actually look at Romans 9 to 11? Okay, does anybody know what this is? Kiwi fruit, fantastic. This kiwi fruit, it's pretty obvious it's a kiwi fruit. You can tell it is. So looking up close to Romans 11, 9 to 11, you actually can get a lot out of it by looking close. But if you take a couple of steps back, you can see the whole picture. And by seeing what a kiwi fruit looks like, you can know exactly what the point is of the picture and the seeds and everything. You can see by taking a few steps backwards how the closeness fits into the bigger picture. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a couple of steps back and look at what a bigger picture of what Romans 9 and 11 is so that when we ever look at Romans 9 to 11 ourselves, we can have that bigger picture in mind and that will help us to understand the close-up picture. Okay, so a thing to note is that there is in the book of Romans, there are 50 references to Old Testament scripture from about 13 different books in the Old Testament. So in Romans 9 to 11, in chapter 9, there are nine Old Testament references. In chapter 10, there are eight Old Testament references. In chapter 11, there are four Old Testament references. Of the 50 references of the Old Testament scriptures, there are 21 that are found in these three verses. So that automatically tells us something. Paul has referenced the Old Testament 21 times in chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. So what we're going to do is take a step back, go back to the Old Testament, and by looking at the Old Testament, understand what Paul is talking about in Romans 9 to 11. Because the thing to remember whenever you read the Old Testament is most of the time that people that are being written to knew the Old Testament really, really well. And so when they mention the Old Testament in the New Testament, they actually assume that you have some understanding of how that fits into the Old Testament when they make reference. So we're going to go all the way back to this Old Testament word that is found in the New Testament a bit, but called a covenant. Okay, so in the Old Testament, God makes a covenant, which is a promise. It's like a legal term that says, I will do this, and you do this, and then that is the promise that we will keep. And the covenant I want to look at is the, the covenant that was made to Abraham. Because to understand Romans 9 to 11, we need to understand the covenant that was made to God's chosen people, which started with Abraham. So Genesis 12, 2 to 3 tells us this. I will make, this is God talking to Abraham. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is Abraham being called to leave his family and to go to the land that he calls, that he's been called to. And so this is the beginning of the covenant that God has made with Abraham. The second verse is in Genesis 15 that says, And God brought Abram outside and said to him, Look towards the heavens and the numbers of the stars, if you are able to number them. Then God said to Abraham, so, or Abram, So shall your offspring be. So this is God saying, 
Abram, who at this time has no heirs, look at the stars, that's how many your offspring is going to be. And then in verse seven, in chapter 7 of Genesis, it says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offsprings after you. So this covenant that God made with Abraham was to be one that never ended. So even now, this covenant is in place. This is a covenant that says, I, God, will be your God and you will be my people. And this covenant is done again and again with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the promise that we'll make to each other. That's the covenant that we're going to make. And this was made first with Abraham, as I said, and then to the nation of Israel. So if that's the covenant that's made, how does Jesus fit into that covenant? And how do the Jewish people fit in? What does Romans say about this? And so in Romans 9, it tells us this. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descendants of Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Now that may be a bit confusing. So let me try and unconfuse it for you. What it's basically saying is this. The covenant that has been made to be set apart to be the children of God is a covenant that is made by faith. And Isaac was a child of faith. Isaac was given to Abraham, not because of the works that he did, but because God wanted to. And so the children of God are children of faith, not children just of flesh. And so the covenant that was made all the way back then is all about faith and not about generational lines you can follow. And this is the point that the Jewish people didn't get. In verse 9, 30 to 39 in Romans, it says that. It says this, What shall we say then? The Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have obtained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But, the Israel, but Israel, who pursued a law that, was, that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it was based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offence, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Does anybody know who this stumbling block is? It's Jesus. And so what is Paul is pointing out here is that the Jewish people tried to think that the law is what was going to save them. But the law wasn't what saved them. God is what saved them. And Jesus was the end of that covenantal promise. So Jesus actually wasn't plan B. It wasn't that, hey, the covenant with Israel didn't work, so I've got to come up with another way to be able to know people, I'll send Jesus. Jesus actually was the only plan that ever was. 
And God's people were actually set apart to point away to Jesus. You see, the Jewish people came to a conclusion that they were set apart to be God's chosen people because they were special and that they should have nothing to do with anybody else. But they were actually set apart to point to God, to show who God was so that others would look at them and say, wow, look at your God. Your God is amazing. Your God is loving. Your God is all-powerful. I want to know your God. That was the whole point of the covenant relationship that God made. He said, I'm going to set aside a people that will be my people and they will point the way to me. But the Jewish people thought, oh, we are God's chosen people. You are not. We despise you. We only love ourselves. God loves us. He doesn't love anybody else. And that confusion meant when it came to Jesus, a lot of them missed the point. If we go all the way back to Abraham, as I read before, Abraham was meant to be a blessing to the nations. That was the whole point that he was set apart, to point to people's needs. The Passover, the Passover lamb, the only reason that the angel of death passed over was because of the blood that was covering the walls. Jesus' blood is the only thing that covers us from our sin. This points to Jesus. The Ten Commandments, the reason the law was given was not to say this is how you get to know God, but this is the way that God desires for you to live. And this shows you how much you need a saviour because you cannot ever um, meet all the requirements of the law. So the law was given to point to the need for Jesus. And even back then, it was, hey, you, this is the way I want you to live so people will see the way that I am and the, people, the person that I am. Always to point people to their need for God. The temple that was set aside, the holies of holies that were set aside, the way that you had to do all these things all these sacrifices that were needed were all to point to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. And if you look at the temple in detail, you'll find there's all these things that the temple points out that we actually find that Jesus completed. He actually did. He was the scapegoat. He was the perfect lamb. There's all these things that actually the temple and the way that the sacrifice system was set up actually points to the need for a saviour. This psalm, I think, is really interesting. It says this, God have mercy on us and bless us. May you be pleased with us. Then your ways will be known on earth. All nations will see that you have power to save. God, may the nations praise you. May all the people on the earth praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. You rule the people on the earth fairly. You guide the nations of the earth. God, may the nations of the earth praise you. May all the people on earth praise you. The land produces its crops. God, our God, blesses us. May God continue to bless us. Then people from one end on the earth to the other will have respect for him. This psalm is someone who actually got what the whole point of the covenant relationship was about. It wasn't about being an exclusive club it was about pointing to Jesus, about pointing to God. 
It was so that everybody else would look and say, what a God the Israelites have. We want that God too. Jeremiah 31 talks about actually a new covenant. So even the Old Testament points to Jesus. A new covenant, a covenant that is not based on anything else but on someone else that will come and be the one that will make that covenant work, being Jesus. Isaiah 53. If you've never read Isaiah 53, it's really an interesting read because you can see how it talks about the need for a Messiah and a Messiah that must suffer, a Messiah that all points to what Jesus had to go through. So the Old Testament points to Jesus. The Israelite people being set aside was all so that the rest of the world will see who God is. Matthew 5, this is Jesus talking. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus got it. Jesus didn't say the Old Testament and everything, the law is pointless. He says all of that points to me. All of that was set up so that when people saw me, they would see that I am the true Messiah. I am the one that will save them. I am the completion of the covenant that was made so many years ago. So now we get back to Romans. And Romans 8 says this again. We've read it before. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. And that's the only righteousness that is real. The only righteousness that we can have is one that is actually by faith. Faith in Jesus. But the Jews, the Israelites, they thought they were pursuing a law that would lead to righteousness. And they did not exceed in reaching the law. So they thought that they were righteous just because they were Jewish. They thought they were righteous just because of the things that they tried to meet up. And they didn't realize that Jesus was the one who completed the covenant that God had made from the beginning. Jesus was the stumbling block. Well, in Romans 10, it tells us this, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So this is what the Jewish people did. They thought that they themselves could become righteous. And they thought they became righteous by separating themselves from everybody else. And because they were God's chosen people and they had the word, they had the law, they had the Torah, they had the prophets, that that in itself is what would save them. And they did not realize that Christ completes the law. Because of Christ, the law is not pointless. But because of Christ, the law points to our need for sin and Christ is the answer for that need. The thing is, we see again and again and again in the Old Testament, the Jewish people trying to be faithful to God and failing. They tried to keep the covenants and they failed. They tried to keep the law and they failed. Because human beings would never be able to do enough to be seen as righteous in their own it was never the plan. The plan was always Jesus. The Old Testament points to who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't replace 
the Old Testament. Romans 10 carries us this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with one heart we believe and is justified, and with one mouth confess and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the completion that Jesus brings. A completion that says, yes, I want people set apart from me, but everybody can be set apart from me. It's not just those in the line of Abraham. It's not just those who have Jewish blood running through them. But all of us can be saved. The Jewish people actually thought it was all about them. And that's what Romans 9, Romans 10 and Romans 11 is what Paul is pointing out. These guys thought it was all about them. They didn't realize that they would appoint to other people. It has always been about God wanting a relationship with all of mankind. God is always faithful. Jesus was the fulfillment of the covenant that was made with Israel. Because we, mankind, could not do it themselves. And so Jesus is the one who goes, you don't have to be faithful because I will be faithful. Because God is always faithful to his people. And that is what Romans 9 to 11 tells us. It doesn't tell us that the Jewish people got it wrong. It tells us that we were never going to get it right. That there was no way that we could fulfill the covenant ourselves. Jesus had to come because we were never going to be able to make it. And Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He fulfills the covenant that was made to the Israelite people. And now everybody who comes to him through faith are part of God's people. So we've all sinned. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has done it all. We need to actually die to ourselves to be able to live for Christ. Because we're not slaves to sin anymore, but we have to be slaves to righteousness. And God is actually the one who is faithful. We are not the one that is faithful. He is the one that is faithful. And you know what? We sometimes make the same mistake as Christians. We sometimes think, oh, I have been chosen by God. Aren't I special? Oh, look at them. God probably doesn't want anything to do with them. Or the opposite, we think, oh, yep, God must be blessing them. He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. But it's always been about God wanting a relationship with all of mankind. That is still his desire right at this very point, for everybody to know him. And our role now is the same as the Jewish people in Old Testament times. Our role is to point to Jesus. Matthew tells us this. This is Jesus talking again. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. First Peter says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Now those words are actually Old Testament words. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll see that those words are what God called the Israelite people. 
And now we are being called that exact same thing. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are to point to the faithfulness of God. We are to point to the love and the mercy and the grace of God. We are to bring glory to God alone. That is why we have been set apart. That is why we're here on earth. So that others may look at us and say, wow, who is your God? Wow, how loving and gracious and merciful must he be so that all his power can be seen through us. And when we don't do that, we do the same thing that the Israelite people did and we think it's all about me. Oh, good, I'm saved. Jesus' blood has covered me. I don't, like, I can now have a relationship with God and that's all that matters. That actually is just the first step. We are to be set apart, not to be an exclusive group of people, but to actually be in the world being the light of the world and showing Jesus. Showing that we're all the same, that we've all sinned. But how fantastic is it that we don't actually have to live in our sinfulness because Jesus came and Jesus came for everybody. He didn't just come for me. He didn't just come for you. He didn't just come for the good looking. He didn't just come for the good. He came for everybody. There is no one that Jesus does not want to know. That has been the purpose of God since Adam and Eve. The Old Testament actually points to the fact that God so desperately wants to know us. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He's the one that allows us to know God because it's not our righteousness, it's his righteousness. It's not anything that we do, it's all that God does. And because of that, We live a life that hopefully brings honour and glory to the one who is so worthy of it. Let me pray. Dear God, it can be so easy to just think about ourselves. And it can be so easy sometimes, God, just to think that it is all about us. But Lord, we want to be reminded that it is actually all about you that you are the one that is worthy of glory, that you are the one that people should see, that you are the one that we want to point to, God. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the people that have pointed you to us, us to you. Thank you, God, that there have been people in our lives that lived a life that was pleasing to you that we could see, that helped us to see that there was a God, to help us to see how loving and merciful you are, God. And we want to be that for other people, Lord. We want to be your light. We want people to see us and to see you, God. We want people to say, wow, look at that church. Look at that people. Look at that individual. Who is their God? I need him. Lord God, you so want everybody to know you. And I pray, Lord, that we will be people that help you be known. So, Lord God, just come and remind us of your love, of your faithfulness and of your mercy, God, so that we can remind others of that too. Amen.